welcome to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars podcast. I'm your host, Bob Wallace. Whoever thought that children with cancer would be the ones to lift us from our existential funk? Their wisdom, simple and personal, yet profound and universal, helps us circumnavigate these perplexing times. And fortunately, you don't have to walk in their hospital slippers to benefit. Wallace Books presents Jello Wars and Other Battles with Childhood Cancer. It's a book, it's a podcast, and it's life changing. Because the kids have much to teach, and we, the healthy, have much to learn. Thanks for showing up. Let me tell you about Hero. Hero is a 501c3 organization providing assistance to poverty-stricken areas around the world. Hero stands for Humanitarian Efforts Reaching Out. Dr. Julie Williams and her team have provided medical and dental care, gynecological services, vision aid, acupuncture, vitamins, vaccinations, alternative power sources, clean water, construction, and maintenance projects in Nepal, Nicaragua, Honduras, and India. In fact, just this past February, Hero treated over 1,500 patients in remote villages of the Himalayas. And you can be part of it, too. Consider contributing, a little or a lot. Your donation will go directly to fund those who need it most. This is your chance to make a real difference in the lives of those less fortunate. Learn more about Hero at HeroEfforts.org. That's HeroEfforts.org. Be a hero, donate, and make a difference. Welcome back to Wallace Books. Here we are, four episodes into the Jello Wars podcast, and we've literally racked up tens and tens of subscribers. Eh. But life and podcasts are kind of the same. It's not the number of years nor the number of subscribers. It's the quality that matters. Yay, mathletes! Earlier, we tossed around statistics regarding how unlikely it is for a child to be afflicted with cancer, and for those children who are, how likely it is they'll be cured. Now, I've never taken a course in statistics, but I've heard that 60% of the time, statistics are 100% correct, and I think it's probably maybe true. In the meantime, I'm running out to buy a Powerball lottery ticket. Because the jackpot's like a bazillion dollars, and the odds of winning are 50-50. Hmm? Sure they are. I'll either win the lottery, or I won't win the lottery. Like I said, 50-50. Okay, I don't recall ever taking a course in statistics, so the likelihood that I've actually taken a course in statistics is also about 50-50. I did, however, recently give a talk at a college in Phoenix, and my buddy Stumpy and I talked about kids with cancer and camp. The conference was hosted by the psychology department and attended by the nursing department, but, wouldn't you know it, a statistics professor was also present. I think it's safe to say that she didn't 100% embrace some of my thoughts on the topic. 
Granted, it's a topic I know nothing about. And she is a professor of statistics. But, you know, a healthy skepticism is the hallmark of a... Ah, never mind. I'm just trying to sound smart. Maybe this is as good a time as any to explain my intentions for writing the Jello Wars book and doing this podcast. I've been a volunteer at Arizona Camp Sunrise for over 28 years. And, through my entire adult life, the children of Camp Sunrise have been my greatest mentors. I thought it important to share not only information on childhood cancer, but the kids' guidance on life and how to live it. Knowledge that comes from going through a life-threatening disease like cancer when you're young. In writing the book and putting together this podcast, I waffled frequently. I wanted it to be fun and entertaining. I wanted it to be life-changing encouragement from cancer survivors. I was looking for a balance between sharing the kids' positive insights that can benefit the rest of us, but not downplaying the tumultuous effects the disease has on children and everyone in their orbit. Childhood cancer is not a fun ride for the child or their family. On a good day, it's grueling. On a bad day, it's devastating. I was suffering some emotional ups and downs as I dove into jello wars and other battles with childhood cancer. And I'm having some of the same challenges in turning it into this, the Jello Wars podcast. Today's episode includes a fortuitous encounter I had with the exact right person at the exact right time. Our conversation gave me the courage and motivation to keep writing. There you go. That's all. Let's just get to it. Thanks for joining me for the Jello Wars podcast. Stats are BS. Numbers are finicky, but can be persuaded to say just about anything you like. Just ask the IRS. Better yet, ponder this. Elvis Presley died in 1977. At that time, there were about 170 people impersonating him. The number has grown since then. And, in the year 2000, Elvis impersonators numbered 85,000. This data allows us to calculate the growth factor of Elvis impersonators. Murderous Maths, a series of British educational books by Jartan Poskett, figured it all out for us. At this rate of growth, statistically speaking, right now, One in three of the world's population is an Elvis impersonator. Side note, and there's only a 0.3% chance your child will have cancer. Good news. Aren't statistics fun? Even better. Let's jump forward to 2043, when the number of Elvis impersonators will be 9,447,645,907. What makes this even more amazing is the Earth's population in 2043 is expected to be slightly less than the number of Elvis impersonators. Yep, in just over 20 years, there'll be a whole lot of shaking going on, as literally everyone on Earth will be an Elvis impersonator. Mind blown. Okay, forget Elvis. Let's talk about the weather. Regardless of your views on climate change, I think we can all agree we don't see as many pirates as we used to. Side note, this does not include Camp Sunrise staff at the bowling alley. 
Statistically, there's a correlation. While the number of pirates in the world has decreased over the past 130 years, global warming has gotten steadily worse. It's pretty clear, according to the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, if you truly want to stop global warming, the most impactful thing you can do is become a pirate. R. Okay, so let's drop the statistical gymnastics, fuzzy thinking, and fake logic for a moment. A couple podcasts back, I told you the most prevalent childhood cancer is about 90% curable. That's true, statistically speaking. But statistics are not always the same as real life. A parent brought this to my attention when she said, if your kid has cancer, they're either going to make it or not. She had a point. Statistics are BS. What matters is what happens to your child. The challenges each of these children will go through are like running hurdles in the Himalayas. Or possibly the hurdles are the Himalayas. Choose your own metaphor. The challenges are monumental, ludicrous, and anything but fair. (sighs) I know what you're thinking. What happened to the fun stuff about kids with cancer? I took you from Elvis to despair in about 30 seconds. I get it. I was disheartened too. But hang with me just a little longer. The good news is coming. Now, we've already talked about the advancements and successes in developing childhood cancer medications from the 1950s to the 1980s. But then what happened? Well, then the 90s happened, and the aughts, and the 2010s, and now the 2020s. I'd like to tell you that in the last 30-some years, the government threw all kinds of money at finding a cure for childhood cancer. And the pharmaceutical companies enlisted their best and brightest to develop new and better drugs. I'd also like to tell you that researchers rolled out new meds and upgrades faster than iPhones. And that their technological advancements made the Tesla organization look like a junior varsity pickleball team. I'd like to tell you all of that. But it just wouldn't be true. Look at it this way. If the United States government and drug companies were to post their relationship status with childhood cancer, they'd likely go with, it's complicated. And if childhood cancer was to post its relationship status with the U.S. government and drug companies, they'd say, who? Remember when I told you about children with acute lymphocytic leukemia, the most prevalent form of childhood cancer? Remember how they had less than a 10% chance of being cured in the 1960s and a 90% chance today? One might think this was due to all the major new drugs developed, right? No, not right. Far from it. Of the drugs most commonly used in the treatment of ALL today, four of them were developed in the 1950s, three in the 60s, and three in the 70s. Since then, Zero. Zip. None. In the past 40 years, no drugs have been developed specifically for treating childhood ALL. Wait a minute. Cancer is the leading cause of death by illness for children in the U.S., and ALL is the most prevalent childhood cancer. And, over the past 40 years, zero drugs have been developed to treat it. 
This reinforced my disheartenment all the more. Why have the drug companies failed in developing new drugs to help our children? That's a great question, and we'll get to it soon. Research America put out a report showing that from 2013 to 2016, there was a 20.6% growth in medical health research and development. That's R&D spending. And that's good news. The data shows the United States spent over $171 billion on medical and health R&D in 2016 alone. The report also noted that all that R&D money actually comprised only a small fraction of the overall health care spending. They estimated the total amount of health care spending in the United States reached $3.5 trillion. Now we're talking billions and trillions. That's a whole lot of zeros and dollar signs to throw at serious diseases like childhood cancer. Right? Unfortunately, no. Again, not right. The numbers don't translate down to an investment in childhood cancer research at all. Childhood cancer research depends almost entirely on public funding. What does that mean? It means childhood cancer research relies on donations and nonprofit organizations running fundraisers to subsidize the serious business of preventing our children from dying of cancer. It's the old bake sale and car wash model, which is more than a little disturbing. The truth is, in the past 20 years, 228,000 children have been newly diagnosed with cancer. And in that same time, only one new drug has been specifically developed for a pediatric cancer of any type. By comparison, 190 new treatments were developed and approved for adult cancers in that same time period. My disheartenment spiraled towards a full-blown depression. I was in more than a bit of a funk. I didn't want to talk about it, and I certainly didn't want to write a book or do a podcast about it. To spin things positive would be fraudulent. End of story. Side note. Of course, this wasn't actually the end of the story, or it would have been a very short and fairly sucky book, and not much of a podcast at all. Fortunately, I found a comrade in arms when I attended the Coca Eye Conference in Baltimore, where Dr. Peter Adamson was one of the keynote speakers. Side note Coca Eye is the Children's Oncology Camping Association International. Dr. Peter Adamson is board-certified in pediatric hematology, oncology, and in clinical pharmacology. He's the chair of the Children's Oncology Group, COG, and that's a very big deal. Let me enlighten you with some backstory. Back in the 1950s, we had, and still have, the National Cancer Institute. In 1955, they formed their very first cooperative group focused on childhood leukemia research. Their collaborative research was a huge success and spawned the establishment of other groups. By the end of the 1990s, there were four different groups focused on childhood cancer. Then, in the year 2000, the four pediatric cancer groups voluntarily merged into one single group, the Children's Oncology Group, COG. COG is the world's largest organization devoted exclusively to childhood and adolescent cancer research, 
and it's devoted to the development of new treatments and cures. COG unites over 9,000 pediatric cancer specialists in approximately 230 children's hospitals, universities, and cancer centers across North America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. The mission of COG is to cure and prevent childhood and adolescent cancer through scientific discovery and compassionate care. Over 90% of the children and adolescents diagnosed with cancer in the U.S. are cared for at a member institution of the Children's Oncology Group. Each pediatric cancer center uses the same protocols and best practices, and each one feeds results into one shared database. Now how cool is that? It's the true spirit of collaboration. Dr. Adamson is also Professor of Pediatrics and Pharmacology at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and he holds the Alan R. Cohen Endowed Chair in Pediatrics at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Want more? He serves on the National Cancer Advisory Board and is an internationally recognized leader in pediatric cancer drug development. His laboratory research focuses on the clinical pharmacology of new drugs for childhood cancer. Bottom line, when it comes to childhood cancer research, drug development, and treatment, COG is Batman's secret crime lab, and Dr. Peter Adamson is Alfred Thaddeus Crane Pennyworth. Come on, you know, Alfred! Batman's intelligent and resourceful butler, who oversees Wayne Manor, provides medical and tactical support, and maintains the Batcave computers and all the high-tech next-gen technology. That, Alfred. I spoke to Alfred, er, Dr. Adamson, after his keynote address. I complimented him on his presentation, wisely avoided comic book butler analogies, and asked him why he chose childhood oncology as his career path. My draw was toward pediatrics, he said. And then within pediatrics, a few things attracted me to pediatric oncology. First of all, you get to work with children and families for a prolonged period of time. It's not just one visit and then never see them again. It's what I viewed as a real physician-patient relationship. Today, having done this a long, long time, I get photos of former patients getting married and creating adult lives, and that is extremely rewarding. Secondly, he continued, when you treat children with cancer, you really have to know a lot about medicine. It's not a specialty of a single disease. You need to keep up with all aspects of pediatric medicine to successfully treat a child with cancer. And lastly, it's at the forefront of scientific research. He said, I've always loved research and continue to do research. My job allows me to continue to research while still having the ability to impact a child and their family. Great answers. I guess he came prepared. I had the ear of the one person most qualified to ease my depression and answer my number one nagging question. So let's get right to it. Why? I asked him. Why are there no new cancer drugs being developed for children? Fortunately, he told me, all childhood cancers are considered rare and ultra-rare diseases, and there are no great private sector business models for doing that. His response was concise and pragmatic. I thought I understood. 
It's basically an economic challenge. There's simply not enough money in developing new drugs for treating pediatric cancer. That sounded reasonable. Not? Seriously? I blurted. Drug companies let children die because there's not enough money in helping them not die? My funk was taking a turn towards irritability. Basically, yes. Dr. Adamson chose his words carefully. Industry has a much larger footprint for adult cancers, so they're not as reliant on collaborative efforts as we are with childhood cancer. This was unsettling, to say the least. But Dr. Adamson softened the blow. However, he said, the landscape is changing for the good. The legislative initiatives that have come down the pike, including the RACE Act, may help increase the amount of research with new drugs. Side note. The Research to Accelerate Cures and Equity for Children Act, or RACE, went into effect in 2017, potentially paving the way for more drug development in pediatric cancers. I asked the doctor, but how do you, and I, and we, not become disillusioned and cynical? It continues to be a challenge, he said, but we're fortunate that with every generation, we've continued to make progress. That progress includes finding that children with certain cancers can be cured with less therapy, avoiding some of the long-term side effects. This helped. I breathed deep. His positivity was reassuring. He continued, We absolutely continue to make progress. Any doctor who's been in the field for more than 10 years sees children they're able to cure today that they would not have been able to cure 10 years ago. It's a field that continues to be filled with optimism. I asked him which new therapy he felt shows the most potential. He said, Cellular therapies that target the cancers with minimal effects on the healthy tissues. He went on to explain, The CAR-Ts are the top of the list for pediatric cancers. I think we'll see advances over the next five years for diseases that will hopefully extend beyond ALL. Broadly speaking, he concluded, immuno-oncology is still early in our knowledge, and I think real advances are going to come in that field. We talked further about his work with the Children's Oncology Group, Childhood Oncology Camps, and his pursuit of cures. One last question I posed in parting. If you were to throw jello at your fellow doctors and scientists, what flavor would you choose? Dr. Adamson didn't hesitate in his choice. Green, he said. Yeah, I was 73% certain he would maybe say that. For the record, my conversation with Dr. Adamson took place pre-COVID. In the last few years, much of the progress he alluded to has begun to fall into place. Exciting times, indeed. Additional information and statistics from this episode are courtesy of Murderous Maths by Jarton Poskett, Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, Research America, U.S. medical health research spending on the rise, but for how long? Also, a closet full of old comic books gave some insight. And, of course, Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation. Love those guys. Thanks for tuning in to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars podcast. 
The kids of Arizona Camp Sunrise have been my greatest mentors, and they're here to assist you, too. You can find additional episodes of the podcast and more about the book, Jello Wars, and other battles with childhood cancer at wallacebooks.com. That's W-A-L-L-A-S-S books.com. Just go to the website or search Wallace Books wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe and like. You can learn more about Arizona Camp Sunrise at azcampsunrise.org. Podcast theme music by M Dub Music. Sound effects from Sonic Boom. Keep listening to Wallace Books Jello Wars podcast and let the kids change your life for the better. See you down the road. <laughs>